You may be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you to Marshland and our praise band, all those who have led us in worship. And wow, you came today. Appreciated it. Wonderful to see the sea of red, white, and blue and orange. Somehow it works out, I guess. That's all right. <laughs> and I love it when people have to sit on the front row. So thank you. We call this is kind of like SeaWorld. We call this the splash zone if you're on the front row, but we'll. We're going to try to keep you dry today, and we appreciate you coming And already. Aren't you glad you came today? We appreciate you coming. And once again, listen, something for everyone here today, certainly, but all for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's okay that we come together. We celebrate our nation's birthday, and what better place for us to be than to come into God's house and be able to remember that everything that we have, all that we do, it is uh, allowed and it is given and we are in great thanksgiving because of who Jesus is. And he's allowed us to be able to live in the greatest nation on earth, perhaps the greatest nation that has ever existed. It, we believe that and we know that and realize that and we have that privilege and with that privilege come responsibilities because those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize that our citizenship is in a greater place, that we are ultimately and first and foremost citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And because of that, we realize that we have come here, the Lord has us here, so that we might be on mission, that we might be the salt and light of this nation in which we live, in our community, and around the world as well. What you find in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at a familiar verse today, Luke chapter 10, and uh, we're going to be in verse 25 and following. And uh, we are certainly glad uh, that you have come. We're going to have a, a word of prayer. We're going to pray certainly for the rest of our service today. Appreciate the prayers that have been lifted as well. And we have a uh, group who are on mission in Washington, D.C. They left last night. They are worshiping with a church this morning. And uh, they're coming alongside a church as well as a North American Baptist missionaries who are there. And uh, they're going to be serving this week in our nation's capital. Uh, what better time, what better place than to be involved in uh, uh, sharing Christ and being up along with other people that are nation's capital on this week. So let's take just a moment and pray for them today and pray for our service as well. Father God, we come to you at this time. We recognize that you already are in this place. We thank you that we've been able to be able to sing not just about our country, but about a heavenly nation and a heavenly kingdom. And we thank you, Father, that we are, have an opportunity to be a part of that heavenly kingdom so that we might be able to spread the truth, the good news of God's love in every place. Father, we do pray and we thank you for those who are from Parkway, who are in our nation's capital even now, Father. And we pray as they may be a part of a service right now, even such as this, celebrating the birth of a nation. And uh, Father, we pray as you are with them and with our missionaries and friends who are there, Father, that even in our nation's capital, that the truth is being proclaimed about who Christ is. And we thank you, Father, for how you are at work today. And we pray, Father, for the connection and the common bond that we share with people around this nation and around the world who know Christ. We have a common bond because of our citizenship in a heavenly place and in this kingdom that is growing here on this earth. We pray, Father, that it may continue to grow. Pray for those in D.C. today, and we pray, Father, continue to give them safe travel. We thank you for the safety that they had yesterday, and pray that you will continue to be with them, be with them in their health, 
Pray for the impact upon lives in which they will have, the impact it will have upon their lives as well. And even as they bring it back here, Father, we pray that we may continue to be impacted because of their opportunity to be there uh, this week and today. And now, Father, we pray for all those who are in this room. Father, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know the things that may even distract us from being able to focus on your word. But Father, may we bring all these to the altar today, literally through our hearts, knowing that you're able to forgive us of sin. You're able to take us away from temptation. You're able to remove our burdens so that we might place those on you. And Father, we know and trust that you're going to be with us today and continue to be at work. And we thank you, Father, for our time here together. It's in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we lift these prayers. Amen and amen. We're Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and following. Many, if not all, may recognize this, these very words. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. It was a Saturday night and we had spent the night on the lake. And so I get up early the next morning in order to make my way to church here in Auburn. And uh, I left early enough, but probably not early as I really had wanted to, but probably enough to be able to be here and do all the things I needed to do so that I might be ready to preach. And uh, so I was in a little bit of a hurry, but there was no traffic. But as I came, I'm thinking everything's going well. And then just as I approached the church, there is a young lady and her mom who have ran out of gas right here on the corner of Dean Road and University. And oh, for my first thought, the first thing that I think, God, is this a test and does it have to be me? You know, I've got some busy things. I've got some important things that I need to do today. Things I need to do for preparation time. And then suddenly the Lord reminded me, oh yeah, the story of the Good Samaritan. It was the priest and the Levite who didn't have time because they had temple duties in order to perform. So yes, it had to be me. And sure enough, we got him a little bit of 
gas and shared a little bit of Jesus and had a little bit of prayer. We made it to church and everything uh, was fine. A little bit of gasoline, cologne, but that's still okay. Those who say the Bible is not relevant today have not read the stories and in particular have not read the parables of Jesus lately. What is it they say about the dramas on television, the police dramas or the courtroom dramas ripped from the headlines? Well, we could say the same thing about the parables of Jesus and talk about its relevancy today, but now with some eternal perspectives and certainly very practical everyday matters. The original title of this message was God's Answers for America for Social Justice, Discrimination, and Political Reform, and all of that stuff. But it got a little bit wordy, so we just moved it to those two words, America's Answer. Now, my attempt today is not to make a political statement whatsoever, but it is to make a theological statement and even a biblical statement. Jesus Christ and only Jesus is the answer, and the answer is to be proclaimed by His church, by people who know the living God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the lawyer asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Remember, he was asking to test Jesus or for a trap. And Jesus said to the lawyer, what does the Bible say? Because he was a lawyer. He knew the things, the law of the Bible and the Jewish law. And he should know. And sure enough, he gave the right answer. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, which is in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do these things and you will live. See, he had the answers, but he hadn't put them into practice. Long before I knew the meaning of the initials BLM or CRT or LGBTQ, I knew the answers were found in WWJD. It seems to me, or it may seem like an un, uh, uh, untraditional God and country message today. Remember, however, that we are grateful to be Americans. Our home and our ultimate citizenship is in the heavenly home. Christians, Americans who enjoy the great privilege of this earthly nation bear a great responsibility. What a great example we have in this familiar parable. In the story of the Good Samaritan, there is drama and there's violence. It is a bloody scene. A crime has been committed. There's racial discrimination and hatred. Sounds kind of like what you hear on the news every night. And to the original hearers, the lawyers and the disciples and whoever else might have been listening that day, they knew that dangerous 17-mile trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. They knew of all the ravines and the twists and the turns and places in which robbers could hide, most people traveling by foot. It was often called the way of blood because of the lives lost on the road due to robbers. Still, it was a well-traveled road. We know that Jesus traveled at least two or three times during his three-year ministry. I think it's important for us to be able to cloak around us as much as possible the time and the place and the feel and the understanding of the stories that are told so that we might be able to capture the relevance for today. There's a temptation, perhaps, for you to turn the focus off and not anticipate anything new or relevant for you today because this is considered maybe one of the most popular parables of Jesus. The Good Samaritan. Oh, yeah, I already know this one. And it may be that there's nothing new to tell you today. Maybe it is just a reminder of things that you and I should already know. Or it may be, as sometimes God's Word is able to do to give you 
a fresh, new, and powerful insight for you today, even if you've heard the story multiples of times. For instance, if you see in this story, you need to be kind and helpful to other people. Well, that's a good biblical lesson. You need to look for opportunities just like the Good Samaritan. However, the original question that was asked by the lawyer was what? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Doing good deeds is not the answer. Following the good example of the Samaritan does not get you to heaven. Then what and how does this story help you to know the answer of how to get to heaven if that's what you need to know? How does this parable help us to give our nation, this nation in which we live, the only real answer for today's problems? Well, Jesus tells this parable in response, actually, to the question, who is my neighbor? But there's an even bigger picture in mind. To help, I want you to choose this morning your philosophy of life. I mean, when it comes to you and your resources, your possessions, and helping people in need, I want you to choose today what will be your philosophy in life for the rest of your life. Now, that may sound like a pretty tall order today, but as we look at God's Word, we know that Jesus is in the transforming business and He wants us to be able to have the proper attitude in that which is Christ-like. So let's talk about some attitudes for just a moment. And you choose which one will be yours. Some people have the attitude, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. It is the attitude of some Americans today. It's the philosophy of the thieves in the story. Now, how many were there? Well, we know that there were at least two because it's plural. But Jesus left no doubt. They didn't come along and pick his wallet. They didn't come and threaten him, say, look, give me all that you got. They pummeled him. They took his clothes. They left him on the side of the road half dead. Now, hopefully this is not your philosophy of life. Maybe you don't have to spend too much time here. I'm sure that this is uh, not the philosophy of most who are here today. But some people do have this philosophy. I mean, it's the reason we lock our doors at night. It is the reason we have security alarms. You know, uh, we're still looking for that Parkway grill that used to be around back that somebody took. Do you remember I asked you, I mentioned a few years ago when it first went missing, it didn't come back. It had been missing before, but it always came back. But finally it went missing and never came back. It's got Parkway edged in it, one of those that you hook up to your, you know, you hook up to your truck and you take away and somebody did. So let me remind you, I told you then, I said, now if you run across and you see Parkway Baptist Church etched into somebody's grill this tailgating season, you tell them Jesus loves you and he wants his grill back. But then tell them, come on and cook out with us anytime at 766 East University Drive. What's yours and mine and I'll take it. That's not you. But how often do we see people for what they can do for us rather than being concerned about their spiritual well-being, their walk with Christ, or if they know Jesus at all? Christians in business, I think, must be concerned about looking at people and determining whether they have something to sell them or something they can make a profit from people when they need to be thinking about their relationship with Jesus. Preachers, ministers, and church workers are sometimes guilty of using people to make them look good or to build up a program or to fill a position instead of being concerned a person grows in Christ. True church work serves to build up people, not programs, budgets, and buildings. I told you this was practical stuff. Well, how about this attitude? Maybe 
It's the attitude of what is mine is mine and I'll keep it. It's also the attitude of some Americans. It is perhaps the best known picture of putting religion before people, that of the priest and the Levite who go to the other side. We can only imagine what kind of religious duty they were on their way to perform. So much in a hurry to do their work that they didn't have time to help their fellow man. The excuses may be as wide as probably our imaginations because we're not told what they were. They certainly to perform temple duties may have been what they were what they were worried about. Sometimes we have some of the same excuses. After all, aren't we doing God a favor just by being at church? Sometimes we think. Well, we often excuse ourselves from something or some ministry because we have some duty at church for which we're already obligated. The priest may have thought the man, the priest or the Levite may have thought the man to be dead when he was looking half dead. Oh, to touch a dead body would have defiled them, kept them from being able to do the things that they thought that they needed to do. Well, they've been, they've been worried that robbers were still around and maybe this was a trap. They were worried about their personal safety. The number of excuses are as many as our imaginations might make them, but perhaps underlying all of their excuses and sometimes maybe even ours is I'm going to worry about me and mine. Somebody else can help. To not do a good thing is as sinful as doing a bad thing. James 4.17 tells us this, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Ask God to change your view of seeing people in need as a bother or as a nuisance, but instead an opportunity to do ministry or an opportunity to glorify God. And then it may be that some have the attitude of what's mine is God's and I'll dedicate it. What's mine is God's and I'll dedicate it. Now now we're getting somewhere. As believers in the Lord Jesus, we want to dedicate all that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our possessions, our time, our resources belong to Him. We're stewards of all that the Lord has given us. And when you give to the church 10% or whatever offering that you may give, you're saying that everything that you have belongs to Him. I came across this verse this week in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 17 and 18. You may, excuse me, Deuteronomy 8 verses 17 and 18. It's not on the screen, but you might just want to jot down that reference maybe and use it another time. It says this, you, Moses is talking to the Israelites, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have been gained and it is this wealth for me. My own power and my own ability has gained this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18. Would you, would you be able to say, what is mine is God's and I'll dedicate it. All to him. Well, that'd be a good thing. However, I think the lawyer, meaning he was an expert in Jewish and biblical law, when asked the question, would have said the same thing. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the two most important commandments. He quoted them back to Jesus. But Jesus condemned the religious leaders like this lawyer who often dedicated all that they have, even all of their money to God, supposedly, and then use that as an excuse not to help others, saying it's dedicated to God. I can't use it to help you. Sometimes not even helping family members. So if your philosophy is what's mine is God and I'll dedicate it, it should translate to what's mine is yours and I'll share it. 
there's almost always an unexpected twist to the parables that we read from Jesus. And there is in this one, not so much to us because we know the story so well. Even people who've never read the Bible, never stepped their foot in church, they know what you're talking about when you talk about the Good Samaritan. But to a Jewish lawyer in Jesus' day, and perhaps to all those who were listening that day as Jesus was talking, there would be no greater oxymoron, meaning two things that do not go together than the words good and Samaritan. Now, Gentiles were considered unclean by the Jewish people. The Samaritans were hated and despised. People living in Samaria were at one time Jewish. It was part of the northern kingdom, but after an exile by the Assyrians, other people moved in and carried with them their idol worship for which many of the Jewish people began worshiping idols and they married foreigners. Not so much wrong because they were simply from another place, but because they were from another religion or they were idol worshipers. All Samaritans were considered half-breeds, not allowed to participate in regular Jewish ceremonies or worship the temple of Jerusalem of unsavory character according to the Jewish people. They built their own temples while the Samaritan woman asked Jesus where it is that they should worship. It's not the person anyone would expect to offer help because mainly it would not be a person that most Jews ever would have helped. A single mom had gone to pick up her teenage son from school who had begun to run a fever and so she went and got him. Before she went home, she stopped by the doctor's office and got a prescription, then took him home, uh, put him to bed and went back to the drugstore. She had forgotten even before she went to the school that she had put a pie in the oven. She goes and she gets the prescription only to come back and to realize that she has locked her keys in her car. And she's getting a little frustrated, of course, by this time. And uh, she searches and she fire, finds a wire coat hanger and on her way back to the car, she realizes she has no idea what to do with a wire coat hanger. And so she cries and she begins to pray and she prayed, Dear Lord, my son is homesick with a fever. I have medicine here that I need to give him. My pie's in the oven about to burn up. I've locked my keys in the car. I have the wire coat hanger here and I don't know what to do with it. Would you please send someone to help? And just about that time, an old junkie car pulled up right in front of her and a young man gets out and she walked up to him and got in his face and said, do you know how, how to use one of these to get in the car? He said, well, I'd be glad to, I'd be, I think I do. So they come back and within a couple of minutes he'd opened the door to the car and got the keys and she puts her arms around him and hugs him. She says, oh, you're such a good boy. You must be a Christian. She, he said, no, ma'am, I'm not a Christian and I'm not a good boy. I just got out of jail for grand theft auto. Well, she hugged him again and says, praise Jesus, he sent me a professional. <laughs> Sometimes it is the least likely person that God will use to help others. Now, that's not untypical of Jesus. It was an unsavory bunch that became the disciples of Jesus. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He used prostitutes and beggars to spread the gospel. If you think that you might be an unlikely candidate to be used of God to influence and to help others and to begin to make a change, even in this nation or people who live in it, watch out. You may be just the person that God wants to use. Now, according to the scripture of what we've read, who is your neighbor? 
Well, your neighbor's anyone who's in need. It may be understanding this. It could be particularly somebody that's not like you. So I want to put you this month. You've got your notes there. This month you are on neighborhood patrol for the month of July. If you're a member of Parkway Baptist Church, you just happen to be visiting today. I want to put you on neighborhood patrol. It's a simple assignment. Find someone in need that you're able to help. Uh, I know for some of you, I don't even have to ask you to do that, but I want to encourage you to be able to do that. But I'd like for you to report in if you would. You've got my email there. You could go to our website and there's a place that you can go and record gospel conversations. We'll keep it anonymous, but if we want to list some of these and maybe we'll be able to share some of these. I'm going to remind you throughout the month, even if it was this past week or even the month before, if there's something that you have done or maybe somebody, something has done for you, something like, Somebody, something that you could do, whether it be yard work, helping somebody on the side of the road, listening to someone who needs you. Report your actions if you would do that, and we're going to remind you. Some of you participated, many of you did, in the Who's Your One that we started back in February. You hear us talk about that. We want you to be thinking, praying, inviting, and sharing with at least one person who is unchurched or who needs to know Christ as Savior and Lord. It may be that this month this be something that you want to do for Who's Your One. And uh, we encourage you to do that. I'm going to remind you again before, uh, during this month, and we hope maybe it's something maybe that we just continue on. But we're going to focus that this month. But as a believer, we want to do more than just good deeds. We want to, we want what we do to have kingdom building significance. Open doors to pointing other people to Jesus. So what is needed to honor God and be a blessing to others? These verses give us a clue. There's a word used in verse 33. We're going to put that verse on the screen that reveals something that the Samaritan had that the priest and the Levite obviously did not. Notice it says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? He had compassion. That's not pity, that's not, but, but it is being moved and stirred. The same word was used of Jesus when he looked on lost sinners. When we show compassion, we're simply treating others as God has treated us. It's the kind of love that begins on the inside and moves to have action on the outside. Can someone without Christ have compassion? Certainly it is possible. Sure they can. Many people have great compassion who are not followers of Jesus. And yet there are some people who would not have any compassion were it not for their experience with Jesus. My argument, and perhaps it was Jesus, let us at least have as much compassion as the rest of the world. Jesus was not necessarily claiming that the Samaritan knew God. He may have been assuming the opposite. If this Samaritan who may not know God can have compassion for his fellow man, how much more should one who claims to be an expert in the law of God, how much more should one who claims to be a follower of Jesus? What what does compassion look like? Well, the Samaritan gives a pretty good picture. read a story recently about a little girl whose friend in first grade lost her mom to cancer. And a few days after the funeral, finally the little girl came back to school when her friend and desk mate got home from the school that day. Her mom asked her, well, well, how'd your friend do at school? She said, oh, mommy, she said it was terrible. She just put her head on her desk and, and cried. And her mom asked her, well, what did you do? Well, I put my head on my desk and cried with her. In case you're wondering, that's what passion looks like. In verse 34, we have another clue for us. Verse 34 says this, 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. I want to use the word connection here. The care and connecting with others is something that we do. If compassion is something that we feel, then connecting is something that we do. Love does not look at the obstacles, nor does it look at why we cannot, but why we can. Now, the Samaritan had more excuses than anyone of why he could or should not help, but he did it anyway. I use the word connection because we need to make connection with people if we're going to influence a nation to find the answer in Jesus. No one person can meet every need, but all of us can make an intentional and substantial difference for someone, even if they're not exactly like you. It's good to make contact and have strong feelings of caring for others. But our example today calls us to go and to connect so people can find the answer. But there's another element that must not be left out if we're going to love our neighbor. Verse 35 says this, that the next day he took out money and he to pay for his stay and care and said, if you require more, I will repay it when I come back. If we're going to love our neighbor, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. Someone said ministry that costs us nothing accomplishes nothing. Folks, we've got, to have, we've got to stop having a good enough mentality when it comes to our spiritual walk and our relationship with Jesus. This is good enough for the church. This is good enough for God, we think, when what we do should be our very best. Let's not give our very least. The good enough to get by, but the very best in whatever God requires. And God, if you require more, I'll be ready to give it and I'll be ready to do it. When Jesus finished the story, he asked the lawyer, which of these three you think proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy. He, he really refused to say out loud that it was the Samaritan. It may be an indication that he knew the answer, just like he knew God's law, but he was still not ready to love all people. Now, there's an obvious lesson in a bigger picture. The obvious lesson to do is Jesus said, go and do likewise. We need to be kind to all people in need. Anyone who is in need is your neighbor, regardless of class, race, or social status. But there's a bigger picture. Because the lawyer asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer asked to trap or to test Jesus. Then he asked, who is my neighbor in order to justify himself, the scripture says, meaning that he thought he was a pretty good neighbor because he loved people who loved him or he loved people who were like him, which was his definition of neighbor. But by telling this story, Jesus defined the true definition of neighbor and he revealed the heart of the lawyer. There was sin in his heart because he did not love all people. Let us remember to love all people, not just love those who love us or not just to love those who are like us. Do we help every person that we see in need, every person that needs help, every person that's on the side of the road? Probably not. And if that's what it would be required for eternal life, we would all be in trouble. But realizing that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, asking Jesus to forgive all of your sins and making Jesus Savior and Lord of your life, it is what is required to receive the free gift that comes by the grace of God. And if you have not done this, may the parable of the Good Samaritan not point you to good deeds alone, but point you to Jesus. And may it point all of us to knowing Jesus and transforming a heart ready for ministry. Let's, we make a distinction between good deeds and ministry. 
Anybody can do good deeds. Ministry is what's done in the name of Jesus. And as the member of the family of God, why should you do ministry? I think it's because of the thieves in the story. The thieves, hear me out, don't lose me here. How many were there? At least two. Does it remind you of any other story in the Bible about thieves? Because in another part of this gospel, there were exactly two. And they were nailed to a cross right next to Jesus. They both ridiculed Jesus and one had a heart transformed and Jesus forgave him right there on the spot and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Reminding us that Jesus came to forgive sinners. Some will believe and some will not. Jesus was numbered among the transgressors so that we might be forgiven. Why should you help others? Because he saw you on the side of the road. He saw that you were beaten down because of sin. He took you out of the ditch and he cared for you and he brought you to a place to where you could be cared for. We want to be able to help others because we have been helped. We want to show compassion because we've been showed compassion. I mean, who would really be like the Good Samaritan? Who would be so, do so much for one person? Pay a hefty price and a promise to return. Maybe some would, but I only know of one for sure who did much more than give a little gasoline and say a little prayer. He looked at you with compassion. He came to you. He did not pass you by. He patched you up, took you in, cares for you. He'll continue to do so no matter what the cost and he proved his love by dying between two thieves and he has promised, he has risen again and he's promised that he's coming back. Why should you help others? Because his message is the same as it was on that day. You go and do likewise. Most people are not going to. And we cannot offer forgiveness of sin, but we can point to the one who can. Do good things so you and I and this church will have a platform so that we might be able to speak the name of Jesus. Now, I've asked you today, on this day, choose which philosophy you're going to have for the rest of your life. And ask the Lord to make us a lot more like Jesus. I've asked you this month that you're on neighborhood patrol. And we'd love to hear from you, to hear how you might be able to have conversations about Jesus or might be able to lift a hand in helping others or maybe even how someone has helped you. But for all times, because you are in need, you want to help others in need. Stop blaming political and government leaders for the woes of our nation and world. Stop pointing fingers to those people, whoever those people are. You hold the key to the hope of the world. Jesus said that you and I are to be the salt and the light of the world. Be convinced that the answer for America is found in a transformed heart because people have encountered and put their faith in the risen Lord. For when the citizens of the heavenly kingdom, who also happen to be people who live in this place we call America while here on this earth, when we begin to look on how we might be good neighbors to all who are in need physically and spiritually, regardless of race, background, or status, there will be a great awakening in our nation. One more verse that you know of. It's a familiar verse now from the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people who are called by name, my name humble themselves. Be careful now as we read this. If my people, he's not talking about the United States. But if my people, he's talking about all those who are followers of the Lord Jesus. 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The answer is found in Jesus. It's found in others coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior and God's people walking close to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be able to celebrate not only the birth of our nation, but be able to celebrate our risen Lord. And we thank you that we've been able to come in this place. And now, Father, we pray that you may continue to be at work and as God's people. Father, we now turn our hearts towards you. And we ask you, Father, now to be at work in our lives individually so that we might be more like Christ. Forgive us where we fail you. We pray, Father, that our land might be healed of its woes so that we might be able to have more opportunities to share about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, if there's one here, one listening today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may parable that we've read in our time of worship lead them to want to know Christ as Lord and Savior and call upon him even today. We thank you, Father, and even now, Father, may we follow closer to you than we've ever been before. May we commit ourselves today Seek to be at work this month. And from now on, Father, may it be that we seek to touch other people's needs in the name of Jesus. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.